Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Rockstar Superhero Podcast. This week on the show, we have Matt Dorito from Pop Evil. Bass player, cool guy, tattoos, visionary. I love this guy. I mean, my God. <laughs> this guy is, uh, he's my friend. He's everything I want to be around. Just a giant heart and an amazing musician. So much fun, so kind, lovely in every way. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Matt Dorito on the Rockstar Super Podcast. Rock and roll. So basically, you're a rock star. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I don't feel like there are any of those left anymore. I mean, like there are no new age rock stars. It's not really a. I don't know. It's uh, it's a sort of a self serving term, and I don't, I don't really like to use it. I mean, okay. I play music for a living. I'm a musician. I'd much rather be a musician than a rock star. You know, like that's yeah. to me uh, someone who gets idolized for doing crazy stuff, and I don't know. It's, you know, and that's that whole mentality kind of took me down a bad path when I was younger and, and uh, led to my sobriety, I guess. It was this idea of, you know, I went from working a, a shop job day in and day out to giving that up and going on the road and touring for the first time. And I had this image in my head, you know, of, of what it should be and what I should be doing on the road and the things that my heroes did and people I looked up to, um, like I had to fulfill that. And it was that whole idea of, you know, a rock star or whatever that I, I thought I had to, you know, fit in, in, in that mold. And, uh, and I made some pretty poor life decisions because of it. And, uh, you know, thankfully like pulled myself out of it and I've been sober for three and a half years now and, you know, haven't been to jail since, <laughs> since I've been sober, which is, you know, the two kind of go hand in hand. So, yeah. um, I don't know. It's a, I got weird thoughts on on that whole. No, that's cool. Well, a perfect way to start. Then I alienate you right off the bat. But no, uh, oh, no, no. Well, as I as I'm drinking and <laughs> as a rock star, there it is. Well, <laughs> so of- no, actually, let me. I'll, I'll actually finish the uh, the thought because I do think of you as a rock star, but I think of you as a new rock star. And what I mean by that is, um, when I first saw a photo of you, I've never talked to you on the phone. This was before you and I had originally communicated, and I saw a photo of you, and I said, "Okay, tall, dark, handsome, the whole thing, like lean, leather, bass player, tats." Right, the hardcore, committed, maybe a little insane stage presence. The thing that I discovered about you is you are actually this really big-hearted guy, and and I felt I think I think a lot of that comes from sobriety, but a lot of it just comes from life lessons, right? I mean, you you Absolutely. like you said, you became the stereotype. You lived out what you thought you were supposed to live, and then you actually just turned into Matt Dorito, grown up. I, you know, the, the hardest thing for me to do was to figure out that 
I just wanted to be the guy that I was before all of this started. You know, the, the person that my parents raised me to be, you know, the, the kind of person that I was before, you know, without having those expectations for myself to, to fill some other kind of shoes. So really it's, you know, it's a, I mean, every day I, I, I try to be more like that person, the person that I was before all this started. Yeah. That's really it. No, that's fair. You know, you mentioned your family and you mentioned your parents and do you feel that they raised you to handle, you know, this life or was it more they didn't know where you were going to go and you just were sort of crafted as this sort of gentle hearted uh, uh, musical hopeful, right? You, you, you grew up, see, like me, I grew up in a very soft, safe home. And I knew that if I were let out into the world, right, I was going to turn into probably a madman for a while. But then eventually I'd sort of find my way back, right, to my, to my normalcy and my heart and all those things that, that formed me. I'm assuming it's the same for you. Yeah, you know, it, and my folks did a great job of raising me. They were, they were kids with kids, you know. Um, they started really, really young. And uh, when I got to be in high school and stuff like that, it was all the kids would come over to, to my house to hang out because my parents were like the cool parents that would hang out and crack jokes and cook food and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that they taught me was they, they gave me the freedom to make my own decisions and they let the weight of that, you know, on my shoulders. So they didn't, uh, I never felt like I, I had someone making choices for me and, you know, like I had to experiment beyond those because, you know, I felt like I was being forced in, into one thing or another. If I was ever forced into anything, it was because I did it for myself, you know, right. I, I put that pressure on myself, but. No, that's cool. I mean, I, I, I've seen a few photos of your mom, at least I think it's your mom with you, maybe, <laughs> maybe on your Facebook page or on maybe on your mom's Facebook page. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's on Twitter. But the point is, is I saw a photo with you and I think some other family members and I got the really, uh, really powerful feeling that your mom's your biggest fan. Yeah. Yeah, man. Everyone's mom should be their biggest fan. It's, it's funny because we're, uh, you know, we're writing new songs right now for our up and coming record. And, um, it's kind of an inside joke between us. Like if one of us comes up with an idea or a song or a riff or something, we'll play it. And, um, if the other guys are, aren't real too sure about it, you know, we'll say, well, I like it. Well, my mom likes it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Do you feel you guys write uh, safe material? Do you th- feel you guys write uh, aggressive material or how, how much has it changed maybe over the course of the time you've been in the band? Because you came in in 2007, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's changed quite a bit. You know, when we first started writing, we had a very specific goals in mind, um, you know, from our, our management, from our label, from radio and things like that. You know, we had a, a certain sound and a certain type of uh of music that we're really going for. And with every album, we try to push out and push away from that a little more. It's like, we're already an established band. And for us to to look at it and go, you know, we're going to try something different, something that makes us happy, something that is fun for us to play live, something that we can be proud of, you know, to come up with something really neat and, and and stretch our imaginations a little bit. Um, yeah, it's definitely a little more risky now than it ever has been. In fact, we use three words 
that we try to add into every song. So at least one of the three things should be in every song that we write. And we're trying to be really hard on ourselves to, to push ourselves creatively and not just go back into a safe zone that we know, we know we can do it, you know, all that, all that, um, all the stuff that people would expect us to do, we can, we can do. So we're definitely taking some risks. So it's, it's risky, sexy, and dangerous. Nice. Nice. So if the song doesn't have at least one of those things in it, (laughs) go back to the drawing board. And, and, and literally the lyric or literally the idea? It could be anything. It could be um, where you're taking it musically. Like, oh, man, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't see you guys doing that, you know? Nice. Or, you know. And, the perfect, and the perfect song hits all three out of the park, right? Oh, yeah. Perfect song is, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Which, I don't know if we've got that yet, but yeah, that's what I was working. wondering if you've crafted that. So, do you think in the, the past material you've worked on, though the the last few albums, do you think you've uh, you've hit a few sweet spots yet? There might be. You know, when I when we look at that and and go backwards in time and look at some of our past songs, it's easy to see which ones don't live up to that. Um, and again, this is just something that we put on ourselves, you know, to to try to push ourselves. But. Um, you know, there might be some songs with a little element of danger, a little element of, of sexy here and there, but it's something that we're kind of striving for with the new album. Right. Do you guys write as a band, or does somebody write the majority of the material and then bring it in, and then everybody adds their parts? No, we, we full-on write as a band. It's been um, the four of us band members, like, you know, drums, two guitars, and bass, uh, locked in a house together for the past six weeks. Wow. <laughs> just hashing stuff out we're in the middle of nowhere out on a lake and it's great um and it's cool you know in the past it has been different we have written in different ways um but i'd say this album by far is is definitely the biggest collective you know of us all getting together and you know hashing out ideas and writing things from scratch and so everyone's got input on every single song that we do Wow, that's awesome! So it sounds like you've uh, found your really tro- excuse me—you found yourself as a really truly cohesive unit. Then now, finally, maybe finally. Yeah, absolutely. We're figuring out how we work together. You know, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, who would you say is your inspiration to create music from the beginning? You know, wh- why why bass? Um, jazz. Okay. Really, that's why I picked bass. Um, you know. It wasn't until I got into high school and I joined jazz band. I played saxophone before that. Uh, I joined jazz band and I'm like, wow, man, the bass kicks ass. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, like yeah. cool walking bass lines and stuff like that, the tone of it, the way it locks in with the drums. Um, it really caught my ear through jazz more than anything else. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up on rock and roll and everything like that, but, um, you know, I'm trained and educated in different forms of music. And it wasn't until I really started digging into jazz where I was like, man, this is cool and it's challenging. And I picked it up and joined the jazz band and learned all those weird scales and stuff and how to <laughs> twist notes around and, you know, move one part into the next and right. out. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I I was influenced by jazz a lot too, but probably not the same thing. I was in I was interested more in um, 40s and 50s. I mean, I'm a lot older than you, right? So sad, sad to say, I was influenced by uh, guys like Louis Belson and uh, Gene Krupa, you know. And it seems like most of the guys who talk about being influenced by jazz, it was more about the 60s and 70s, right? Miles Coltrane or maybe Jaco Pistorius for you, you know? Yeah, Jaco is huge, man. Yeah, yeah, and a monster player, just just so solid and so weird, right? He was just like so eccentric, and he didn't care what anybody thought. And granted, his eccentricities were ramped up by drugs and alcohol, but he was still truly brilliant and and tortured, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was it was that ego that got him killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're a young guy, man. That pisses me off. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, that's great. So, so who was an influence for you? Like, what kind of music? I mean, excuse me, not what kind of music. What artists? Um, well, you hit the nail on the head with oh, Jaco. Okay, uh, he was really big. Um, Jaco, uh, Victor Wooten in the early oh, days. Yeah, I love Victor Wooten. Um, and then you know, like uh, as it crossed over, there were other people that influenced me in different ways when it came to bass. So, you've got uh, Twiggy who's been in some of my favorite bands, you know, he's been right. in Upper Circle, he's been in Marilyn Manson, he's right. been in Nine Inch Nails, There's, those are all huge for me. Um, and, you know, Nikki Six, like, as a as a songwriter and a performer, yeah. not necessarily as a player, same thing with Twiggy. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, you got guys like Billy Sheehan, like, that could just shred. And it was, like, he was a great example of a crossover for me between a rock guy and a jazz guy, someone who could pick up the bass, wail on it, and still fit into, you know, rock music. Yeah, yeah. People like, people never got how great he was. I mean, bass players know, and drummers know, how, how influential Billy Sheen is. It's not was, is. You know, I mean, he's, he's extraordinary. That guy can do more with those fingers than anybody I've seen. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in some ways, he probably bridges the gap better than even a Victor Wooten because he can play so many styles so well, right? Where, where not to knock Wooten, Jesus, I mean, <laughs> Wooten's an amazing talent, but Sheehan seems to be able to hit all landscapes. I mean, yep. all of them. I mean, he can play the, the most fierce metal all the way down to true swing, right? Yeah. And when you look at, you know, like his, his biggest hit, right? You know, um, I'm the one who wants to yeah, be with you. Mr. Big. It's, you would never think that if that was the only thing that you ever heard by Mr. Big or that Billy Sheehan's played on, you would never think that dude could play the way that he does. But yeah. someone like yeah. Victor Wooten has a rhythm bass player with him all the time because all he does is lead bass, you know? That's right. Um, That's right. Even when he's sitting back, he's in the he's in the front, and that's cool. It's his style, it's his thing. But like you said, um, Billy definitely definitely touches on a lot more styles. Yeah, yeah. Um, you make your uh, home in Muskegon, right? Yeah, Is, that's how it's pronounced. I've, I've always wondered, right? I've never really known. Yeah, Muskegon. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, the home of Shivering Timbers. <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's right you're a coaster freak huh yeah i'm one of those guys yeah I, have you been no you know i i haven't i admit i haven't i would like to go there i would love to go there actually but um it's just so yeah, it's, like it's 10 so minutes far, from the house but it's so far off the beaten path right i mean you gotta head a couple of hours off of a uh, 90 to to get there and um i don't know it's just never been on my 
it's it's always on my radar. It's never been on my trajectory, if that makes sense. Let's see. If you hit six flags, you could shoot straight up. I think it's like two hours, two and a half hours, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! But you've you've gone there. I mean, are you a roller coaster guy? I mean, I know you're a friend with Sean, but Sean's a roller coaster fanatic. Are you one of those guys yeah. as well? Um, if I'm there, yeah, I'm all about him. Okay, um, but um, I don't go and seek him out. You know, if it, if it's if I happen to end up at a theme park or something, I wouldn't not ride him. Like, I love right. riding him, but uh, but I haven't. You know, I haven't got a checklist or anything like that. Right. Well, it's not like you don't have a life already. I stay pretty busy. Yeah, absolutely. So how many hours a day do you think you put into music and into pop evil? That's a really um, hard question to answer. Okay. Uh, since it's, uh, you know, it's it's a 24-hour day job because, uh, I mean, basically, pop evil is, um, it, it's really hard to, to find the line between who I am and what pop evil is. And it's one of those jobs where, you know, when you're self-employed and, and you're doing everything all the time, it's like, you know, taking calls from my manager at two, three in the morning. And then as soon as I get up, I've got emails to answer and people to get back to and, you know, set lists to build and things to prepare for. And, and you know, if I had to say like how many hours a day it's on my mind and I'm, you know, preparing stuff for it or, or getting ready for it, it's a lot it's an all day every day kind of a thing yeah um you know it's a lot more than just the time that i have a a guitar in my hands on stage yeah yeah well people forget it's called the music business for a reason the word right the word business right and i'm assuming i mean are you then sort of a publicist for the band are you the sort of the band spokesperson um not really the spokesperson i'd say uh me and the the singer lee Mm -hmm. we do majority of interviews and stuff like that um but yeah, man, it just it is what it is. You know, it's 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 our creation. I love talking about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm proud of it. So, well, it's, I mean, so, there is no dividing line, right? I mean, I think I think fans will always recognize great bands when they realize you are the band. That it's not just a persona. That you are that person, and you live it and you breathe it. And I don't want to I don't want to use some cheesy term like it's a lifestyle, right? Because that's a like an, a punk aesthetic that doesn't necessarily apply, and it always felt a little sort of uh, arrogant. But it is true that the great bands are, they live their band. Their band is them. They are their band. Yeah, and it's the same with the fans, too. And I think that's why, um, you know, you get a lot of crap in the, in the rock industry and stuff like that with the, the whole rock is dead type thing. Um, but more than any other genre, in my opinion it's a lifestyle with the fans, with the people that listen to it. Because if I weren't in a band, I would still be going to a ton of concerts. I'd still be buying up music and I would still be buying up t-shirts and going to see my favorite bands. It's it's a, it's a a lifestyle thing. When I look out and I see our fans coming over and over and over again to shows, I know that it's, it's a lifestyle. That's who they are. They're, they're that to the core, you know, and uh, top 40, it's like, all right, cool. I like this right now, and then sure. it's gone. There's something else. Sure. Well, there's a lot of longevity in not trying to appeal to pop sensibilities, and it doesn't mean that you don't want to have legacy and have a hit and all those things. That I think you know, look. Every musician gets in the business not to be an esoteric artist. They they all want people to appreciate what they're doing. They don't necessarily want it to be loved like 
a top 40 hit, but they do want it to be appreciated and, and I think understood, right? I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and I don't want to speak for you, but that's how it always felt for me in the music business. I wanted people to recognize what I was putting together was something special. I wanted to be told it was special, but I didn't necessarily want, um, I didn't care about the money and all that other crap that goes with it. Yeah. You know, there's a, a time and a place for it. And my time to, to have people, you know, appreciate what I've done and what, what I've created. Um, it's, it comes internally from the people that I work with, like on an album like this, but the day that we release our album, it goes off into the world and it's no longer ours. Like that music is no longer mine it's awesome. once it's, once it's been shared. And rather than have people understand and appreciate what I've done, uh, you know, my ultimate goal is for people to understand it themselves and understand how those songs are a part of them and have those songs change people's lives and, and perspectives on things. And, you know, the, the best thing about the bands that you love or, or the songs that you love are the ones that you can take. And the second that you hear it, it becomes like a time machine. You know, you fly back to high school and you remember the people you're hanging out with and what you're doing and, uh, and what that song did for you at a, a certain point in your life and what that song means to you. That's more important to me than people, you know, appreciating what, what I've put together or, or trying to understand what, what my message is or what I'm trying to say. Yeah. By the time that record comes out, I've already said it and I've already gone through the, the healing process of it. Wow. That's a great way to put that, it. You know, at that, at that point it, it goes out and, and it becomes everyone else's and it, it's for them to pick it up and say, this is my therapy today. This is, this is what's getting me through my day today. And you know, this, this song just gets me, even if it's not what we intended at all, you know, it's, if it's what it means to them and it helps them, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is music then for you mostly cathartic? You know, it, it's got different uses, Okay. Uh, different bands, different albums. My music specifically, is that, is that what you're asking? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, it could be obviously defined a lot of different ways. If you're a fan, then music could be catharsis for a number of different things. But as a, as a songwriter, you said, you know, you, you've, you create it, you give it away, and you sort of release it almost like it's pain, right? You sort of cut that cancer out, and, and I'm exaggerating, I get it, but it, it, the way you put it made it sound like you use songwriting as a tool to sort of cut out that the demons in you if you will and and i and I, I don't know if i'm exaggerating i'm sorry if i am but i'd love to hear your take on that no you're absolutely right um and it's funny because i talk to people and you know they'll ask me how's it going in the studio or how's it going songwriting and, and you know are things going good are you having fun and my answer is always pretty much the same and i hate it <laughs> you know i hate writing music because it's exactly that it's you know once every two years or so we make an album and we have to sit down and tap into that part of you that you've put a wall up against you know the the part that you don't like to show the world i'm literally having to like sit down with some of the people i'm closest to and open up a part of me that i don't want anybody to see sucks it really sucks 
but when it's done and done the right way, you know, it's, it's two, three, four months of, of just torment and, you know, your, your head's messy and, and you can't think straight and you get, you know, emotionally tied and, and to, to every single song that you do. And then when it's done and you can put a stamp on it and send it off, that's the best feeling in the world. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It is that to a T and it's a process that I hate, but I know it's good for me. It's like going to therapy and, um, you know, it's, it's really good to get that stuff out and feel better about yourself and then to see how it affects other people and hopefully see how it affects people in a, in a good way and a positive way so that they don't have to take those steps that, that you do. So, you know, they can use that music as a tool to tap into those places in themselves and, and say, oh man, that's exactly how I feel. You know, like, I, or I don't know what it is about this song, but you know, I can't stop listening to this one over and over again because of the way it makes me feel. Not even necessarily what's said, just the way it makes me feel. You know, there's there hasn't been a single song that we've recorded on any album where at some point in the recording process, like, I haven't broke down and shed a few tears. Every single song, wow. no matter how wow. stupid they are. Whether it's pride whether it's, um, you know, being proud of, man, this song sounds great. I feel really good about this or, or, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum, like, geez, man, like, you know, like it feels really good to, to finally say this or finally get this out. It's just, um, it's really something, something different. It's hard to put into words, but, uh, you know, I sink myself in the, every song that we do. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, the the transparency. There was wild. I uh, I actually I mean, don't know how to go from here. You just kind of you just kind of clobbered me just now, and uh, I mean in a great way. I love what you shared. I love that passion and that conviction. And at the same time, um, I looked at your face, Matt. You know when you were sharing that with me just now, and. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I wish I wish my audience could see this, but it's it's um, it, it was just so honest, and I almost sensed this. Uh, there was this glint in your eye of being so passionate and um, emotional. You were emotional about it. Even the answer of it was emotional. Like there was. You were on the cusp of tears, even talking about it, because because it's so real to you. Absolutely, it's it is, man. It's and it's um, it's a hard thing to put into words. You know, the whole process and um, you know, the bonding that you do with the other musicians, and that's why you know, there, there's like a whole another brotherhood to to the people that you write songs with and you know the people that help you tap into things that you can't always hit yourself or you know Lee will come up with a lyric that says what I wanted to say and I'm thank you you know thank you for doing that like I don't I don't know how you did it but but you did it you nailed it and um and it's like uh, it's like going to war I, I mean I I hate to put the the similarities there between like, obviously there's nobody out here trying to kill us. Like I can't compare myself to like any of our veterans, but, um, 
but you know, most of my closest friends are, have served and, and everything like that. And, and the way that they speak about the people that they have gone to war with and, you know, what it feels like to be part of a team where, you know, you and your guys know exactly what they're doing, you know, what you're doing. You don't have to think about what this guy's doing or that guy's doing. Like they've got your back, you've got their back and it's just a well oiled machine and the, the sense of brotherhood and, you know, companionship that you get from being a, a part of a team that works so diligently together and, uh, you know, for so long, for months on end, you're away from your families together um, and doing radical things that not a lot of people experience. It's just, it creates this, this crazy bond and, and, you know, I can't say that I know from experience, but from from what all my brothers tell me, it's you know it, it's kind of a, a similar type of bond that it, that we have as as musicians in a band together. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, this this isn't about me, but I do want to share this with you because I think it's something you can appreciate. <coughs> Excuse me. Coming from the professional music world, and then for a small period of time, seven and a half years, I served in the Navy. And what I recall has been the most profound experience of my time in the service was boot camp. Because what it reminded me of is the exact same thing you mentioned just now. Being oh, wow. being in a band, so you're right on the money. I mean, I mean, you're a hundred percent right. So I endorse you, sir. Is is boot camp is just like being in a band. Now the difference is when you get out of boot camp, you do go to you know either war or you go to prepare for war right you go to uh if you if you will run the machine right the 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 military machine being in a band is as close as it gets and i've always equated it to being married but being married to four or five other people and no wonder every band breaks up because the emotional content is on a, is at a hundred percent all the freaking time. Because you can't be a great band if you're not one hundred percent committed. You can't be a half in rock star. And I hate to use that term again. Now that you're so pissed at it, <laughs> no, I'm not mad at it at all. I just don't. No, get I, know, so I know. I know. That's all. I know. I'm just messing with you a bit. But but. You have to be 100% in. And so there's that military mindset of picking your brothers, um, agreeing on a system, and going all in, working it, working it, working it. You go to war together, and you guys, you you jump on a bus, you jump on a train, you jump on a plane, you jump in a car, whatever you do, you jump on the stage, but you're always together. And that is very hard. Um, it's very exciting. It's very frustrating. It's very powerful. Uh, the day you die, all your bandmates are going to remember you with a fondness nobody else will remember you with because nobody will understand. And vice versa, hopefully you'll live a really long life and outlive everybody else. But you'll feel the same way about them if you lose them first. And and it's, uh, it's an extraordinary place to be, and it is a brotherhood. So for all the people that listen to podcasts like this and then they roll their eyes saying that guy doesn't know, I'm telling you, I'm caught in the middle. I was never a famous drummer, but I certainly know what it was like to be in that situation situation and it's absolutely a band of brothers it's all about that fist yeah yep 
you know, doing, going through extreme moments together and, you know, bonding through experiences that, that you really couldn't understand unless you were there. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll never ever understand what it's like to be, you know, sent overseas and away from my family and, you know, living in, in those types of conditions and, and having to perform and, and do your job. Yeah. Um, but you know, likewise, it, it's, it's very hard for your average individual to, to fully comprehend what it is that we go through on the road. And I'm not saying that they don't understand, like they couldn't look at our schedule and say, okay, well, I get it. This is what you do every day. But it's, it's one of those things where you might understand the list or the idea or, um, the scheduling of things, but to, to live it and, and be in it is something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have as a band now, obviously you've had tremendous success. So do you have a fair amount of autonomy now, or do you still feel like you are sort of under the thumb of management and labels and, you know, production? What, how do you feel about that? You know, we're, um, we're very fortunate that we don't have a lot of that. Um, we have a very, very good management team. We're very close with, um, they're extremely involved in everything that we do, but, uh, I've never been one to, to really sit down and not voice my opinion. So if, I mean, and that's part of what makes them a great management team is we're, we're on the same page. We've got the same goals We're you know, we're working right alongside each other. But if there are things that, that I don't agree with or a direction that I see should be changed, I've got no issues talking to anyone about it. And, you know, we're, we're very open like that. And, um, you know, it's pretty adult. Yeah. Well, yeah I mean, it, it's, it's not always like that as you well know, you know, I mean, what, what did you do before pop evil when, you know, how did, how did Lee find you? Uh, well, I was in a band. Well, professionally I was, I was a shop rat. I was a press operator. I was a welder fabricator. Um, but I was always in bands and I was in a band with one of my childhood friends, Tony Grieve. And, um, we were playing together for a long time and he left me to go audition for pop evil. They wanted a second guitarist and he joined the band and therefore I was pissed and, you know, like screw those guys. Yeah. And then two, two months later, their bass player left and Tony gave me a call. Nice. So, That's nice. perfect. Brought me back in. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, you know, I, I, it's funny that you're in Michigan because I think of Michigan as sort of the land of cold winters and bears, but that's probably more the Upper Peninsula, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But what's it, what's it like in, I mean, I know these are weird questions, but I just want to talk to Matt Dorita before we get to star treatments, at least, you know, just lay the groundwork of who you are. But what's it like growing up in Muskegon? I mean, you've been there since you were born? Um, no, I've been there since I was about 10 years old. Uh, I was born in California, lived out there for a while, lived in Arizona for a while. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I came to uh, came to Michigan around the time I was in middle school, and uh, it was, was alright. It was a, it was a culture shock for me. Um, yeah. I'll tell you this much: I uh, when I lived in California and Arizona growing up, and granted, this was a different <laughs> different time. Um, I never heard a racist joke oh. i never i never saw a fight on on the school ground um playground 
uh, until I moved to Michigan. Hmm. It was kind of interesting, you know. I would, I came and you know I'd see kids fighting on the playground and stuff like that, and teachers just, you know, well, boys will be boys, you know, kind of a thing. And and that wasn't the mentality that I'd really grown up with. Uh, just living out west, I quickly changed, you know. But um, yeah, I, I guess I got a little bit tougher skin moving to Michigan and living in Michigan, um, which is all right, but. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I had never heard a racist joke or a crack or anything like that until I moved to Michigan. I'm not trying to badmouth Michigan. It no, was I just, understand. You know, it tells you a lot about, I guess, where I lived before and stuff. It was like just so common. Like uh, you know, there are people from all walks of life that I never never saw color until I moved to Michigan. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I uh, I completely understand. It's actually the opposite. Uh, on my side, I grew up in small towns, traveled, moved a ton. Um, I actually never saw a black man until I was in 10th grade. Think about that. So I was 16 years old. I'd seen him on TV, and and and, and that sounds racist to even say a black man or seen him on TV. <laughs> but the point being is that I had never experienced any ethnicity outside of Caucasian or Hispanic. Because because in Washington State, it's it's the west side of the state is basically where all the white people live, <laughs> and the east side of the state is where all the Hispanic people live, and 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 you know we jump from place to place back and forth around the state, um, but yeah, I never ever saw saw that until yeah until I was a sophomore in high school, and for me it was never a shock because. I was raised, it sounds so cheesy to say it this way, but I was raised to not see color, to not see any anything. I mean, heck, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to go down that road, but I mean, every one of my friends is unique. That's the best way to put it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And um, I really think it's the best way to live. The reality is, and this kind of leads into wanting to talk about SART treatments, is is... We get one shot. We get one shot to do things right. I really, truly believe this. And why aren't we doing everything we can to ingratiate ourselves to others, right? Why aren't we doing everything we can to serve others and love others right where they stand? Because the reality is you're never going to agree with anybody 100%. And you're never going to convince them to agree with you because they just simply don't. But if they recognize your convictions and your desire to serve on a cellular level, they will support you. They will get behind you. And the thing you create, in your case, star treatments, um, it finds a voice and it finds traction and it deserves to be heard about. So if you don't mind, why don't, why don't we talk about star treatments and, and tell, me, tell me how it started, you know, what, what brought this to you and, and why, why are you... Uh, why did you create it? it? You know, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting what you mentioned there too. Being that if there's some kind of underlying human emotion behind things, people people tend to see that see people for who they are rather than you know what they what they might appear to be or you know you can see past opinions and and really read people for for what they are, uh, and I think that's amazing. Um, Star treatments for me was something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. I didn't know what it was at first. I knew that as soon as I got involved with the, this band thing, 
you know, I, I wanted to give back as soon as possible, as soon as I was able to give back, which is funny because if you wait for that, you know, the time never comes. So, uh, I had people really push me to sort of make this idea happen. And, uh, I wanted to, to pair myself with a charity of some sort or, or some type of cause, but I couldn't really figure out one that I thought paralleled my own beliefs or not that there aren't ones I, that I agree with out there, but something that really spoke to me. And, um, I was watching a, a friend go through this situation with her daughter where her daughter was diagnosed and I saw from, you know, from day one when she was diagnosed and then going through all the treatments and, and then finally into remission on the other side. And to see what their family went through, it made me think of ways that I could help. Mm-hmm. And for me to specifically help, what do I have, you know, available? Like what are my resources? And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I noticed was their transportation, you know, it was something that their insurance didn't cover. And if it did cover it, they had to wait a long time to, to get paid back and reimbursed for those things. But, you know, in the meantime, it was all out of pocket. It was having to find reliable transportation. If you don't own a good car, finding someone to drive, gas money, all, all these different things. And I'm not sure how many people know this, but our children's hospitals are, are few and far between. There aren't a ton of them in the country. That's and uh, so depending on where you're at, you know, people have to drive five, seven, ten hours one way just to get to the hospital. Well, if you're going that far and, you know, you obviously want the best care for your kid to, to you know, see some of these um some of these amazing doctors, it's, you know, it's, it's a hell of a commitment. And, um, you know, every, every family is different. Every case is different. Some kids go once a month, some go twice a week. And, uh, so I thought, all right, well, you know, we get to travel in style. We get, you know, we're on these huge buses. We live in them, you know, majority of the year. Like if, if I can ride in that and a kid should be able to ride in that, that would actually be really cool for a kid to do. And, you know, like what if we could, you know, pick one up and take one with us, you know, to the hospital on, on their way. And then the brainstorming just kind of went on from there. I thought about, you know, star treatments, give them the star treatment on the way to get their, get their chemo treatments. And, uh, that's kind of how, how the whole idea was born. I figured we could work with the bus companies, give them write offs and, and even now it's been more, um, depending on where the families are located, it's been more car services and limos and stretch limos and things like that than, than actual tour buses. But the idea remains the same to, to set these families up with a care package, um, you know, gift baskets and things from their favorite bands or sports teams on their way in and, uh, you know, bring them to the hospital in style and yeah. take care of them. So, you know, the the mom and dad don't have to worry about driving. They they can take care of their kid in the back. You know, the kid's not strapped in, in into a seatbelt. You know, sick from chemo and you know, or scared out of their mind on their way to get chemo uh, while their parents are trying to drive. It's just a it's a win win win. Yeah, no, that's that's gorgeous. I love it. What kind of reach do you guys have currently? Are you just in you know Michigan or are you all over the country? We'll take any suggestions nationwide. So, like, if you write us, you write to me, Matt at StarTreatments.org or info at StarTreatments.org. I'll get it either way. Um, and we just go family by family and say, all right, well, what's your situation? 
what's your schedule like? Where do you live? Where you, where you're from? Where are you going? Yeah, uh, that whole kind of thing, and then then we'll dig into it and see. You know, is there a tour bus company that we can contact that's within a certain radius? Uh, is there any kind of service that we can provide for you? Uh, we just had to do flights not too long ago. Our first set of flights for a girl who's going from South Carolina to um, to Rochester, Minnesota, to the Mayo Clinic, and she had to have first class plane tickets because her hips are wearing out you know or she had to go have hip surgery and knee surgery and uh it was the only way to get her and her family there quickly and and you know comfortably right so we ended up getting them you know some first class plane tickets and car service here and there everywhere they need to go so that's awesome it's awesome we uh we have a children's hospital here in um in the seattle area and uh it's uh obviously impactful um, but I imagine there's a fair amount of listeners that hear this and think, "Oh my gosh, this is a you know, this is a dream come true." Um, what, what? Uh, hmm. I want to make sure I'm asking the right question here. What don't you do? You know, in other words, is there a, is there a detailed list on the Start Treatments uh, website of, of what ba- services you provide? Sure. There's a, a basic mission statement that that pretty much covers it, which. Okay. Uh, says, you know, we're a VIP transportation service and we provide transportation for, you know, sick kids to and from medical facilities. So if it falls within that, you know, we we don't, you know, unfortunately we don't work with adults. Um, We're just focused on kids. Um, Not that I have anything against it, but, you know, we we have to have a very, you know, structured mission statement in order to, you know, in order to be the most efficient, really. Yeah. and that's just really what paralleled with with how I feel. So. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, you do have to. I mean, I get it. It's uh, this is not a snarky comment, but you do need to know your audience. You do need to serve as best as you can. And so, yeah, making sure that your your focus is is extreme and pinpointed and laser accurate. That's how you're going to do the most good. And you know, I have people hit me up all the time and say, "Well, you know, but." so-and-so I know would really, really like the service and, you know, they're going through a hard time with this or with that. And, you know, they just got diagnosed with lung cancer and, you know, grown adults and, and I'm like, you know, sorry, I, I, I legally, I can't even cause it's in my mission statement. I can't, I can't provide that service for you. And, uh, I, I just think there's something about like being a kid there's there's nothing that they've done to deserve the disease that they've got. And I'm not saying that adults deserve to have cancer, but right. you and I can both make life choices drinking, you know, this crap energy drinks and can or smoking or whatever it is, you know, we've we've had the opportunity to make our, our poor life choices and mm. kids haven't yet. Um and I'm not saying that every every adult that gets cancer is because they've made poor life choices or anything like that. That's that's totally ridiculous. But that was just you know what helped me narrow it down. And I get people, uh, you know, people that will write me and say, um, you know, my uh, my medical bills are are insane for my kid. Is there any way that you guys can help with my medical bills? I'm like, well, that's you know, we're we're in a transportation. Sorry, like I, I can't help you, but what I can do is I can uh, repost your cause for you. I can help you bring attention to it. I can 
sign something and send you an autograph CD if you're doing a raffle or an auction and try to help out in those kind of ways. But I can't can't write you a check. Yeah, you know, basically what it comes down to. No, that that makes total sense. I'm I imagine you have um, at least in the beginning. Did you get close to any families who were using the service? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, we actually uh, lost a, a couple of, of kids, uh, some of the first ones that we actually had use uh, use star treatments as a service. They've they've since passed, um, and uh, there's really nothing you can do to prepare for how that feels. You know, even being a, a you know, distant bystander, you know, not even meeting some of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's crazy the way that, that their stories affect you and their courage affects you and the way that they choose to live life still, you know, right up until the last day, if, if that's what's in their cards, you know, um, it's a lot of very old souls and little bodies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Little kids that they got to grow up too fast. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I struggle with that. Uh, there's an old adage, right? The the burning star that uh, burns twice as bright burns twice as fast. Yep. You know, and even though I do sort of get that in a sort of a traditional pop hero, like I don't know Kurt Cobain or somebody, right? Who just kind of shot out like a meteor and then exploded. Kids. They just, it's not even about not deserving. I mean, obviously, um, I agree completely with your sentiment that they are innocent. They didn't, um, they didn't smoke, they didn't drink, they didn't drug, they didn't screw. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just didn't do a whole bunch of stupid stuff we, we adults do. Um, there's no real point to this outside of it's such a heartbreaking endeavor and I just, it, it hurts me to even listen to you talk about it because um, you're right. You can you can say that you didn't know these families directly and you can disengage yourself and say that's a kid that um, passed away in, I don't know, Ohio, and you never met their family. But a tragedy is a tragedy. It doesn't, it doesn't feel any less powerful. It doesn't hurt any less I mean I don't know about you I'm not a I admit it to my friends I'm a kind of a crazy Facebook person I probably do it a little too much but every once in a while you know you see these incredible posts of of children on their in their last days and the wisdom that comes out of their mouths um, and then ultimately you know you get notification maybe a few weeks after you've discovered them you know you see their family posting on GoFundMe or or some other similar type site where they're just asking for money, anything to get the help that they need to, to pay for all the services. And inevitably, you know, the child passes away and it's just so crushing. And, you know, I don't know any of these families and, and it sucks. It's just, it's, it's like, it sucks a piece out of you because, because Matt, here's the thing. I, I know I'm rambling a bit, but the thing that I liked about you from ground zero was I sensed a giant, hard-on-his-sleeve-wearing guy the second we talked on the phone a couple weeks back. And to see your eyes, to, to talk to you face-to-face, -face, and to see your truth in your words, um, 
is a pretty undeniable and powerful thing. And I, um, I want to do everything I can to serve your mission. And I want every one of my listeners, uh, this is not me pandering. This is just the truth. Um, I want you guys to go and take care of star treatments. I want you to get on a monthly payment plan um, because it goes beyond kids not deserving to die. There's not a parent in the world that wants their kid to pass away. It's a sense of community, you know what I mean? And I think that's what you're kind of getting to. And and thank you for for those kind words, man. I, I feel it. It's uh, you know we're we're all in this together, and there's not enough of that anymore. Like you know, you hear about the bombing that happened yesterday, and and, and things like that. And it's it's God, you know, like we haven't completely lost our way. There's still an underlying sense of community is why you're touched by these families that you don't know and, and stories that you don't know. And, you know, it, it's like, it's, it's hard to even have words for, you know, I just thank you for, for your support and for having me on here and helping me talk about this and, and bring attention to it. You know? Yeah, I am. Um, I, uh, I was reading about the that terrorist thing that happened in London, and um, whoever did it waited until all the kids got together. He purposely went where the kids were. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, look, we can't stop evil. We can't stop disease. Um, we can't slow any of it down. But something I want to share with you, if it's okay... Um, course i i've been talking about this a lot lately so people who have heard a a podcast prior to this might say they might roll their eyes or maybe fast forward i don't know but i just wish people would live like heaven is real i i i just wish people would live their purpose you know and you you talked about songwriting you talk about releasing pain and and that's so impactful to me because I wonder <laughs> I wonder at times when I talk to people like you if, if if they're living their purpose and then you bring up star treatments and I realize you're doing something so profound and powerful and you're impacting lives people you'll never meet some people you may, but most people you won't. And you're not doing it to have your name on the side of a library. And you're not doing it to have a statue in the, you know, the middle of Muskegon. You're doing it because you're a compassionate human being who has gifts and skills and a heart for people. And um, I don't know. I can't. I can't say how much I stand behind that and how, how important it is. Yeah. I think, um, the biggest thing I, I just got, I got lucky that, you know, for whatever reason, people pay attention to what I'm doing. They pay attention to my band. They pay attention to my social media and the things that I have to say. And I think with that comes a great responsibility, 
uh, you know, and I know that you and I touched on this before when, when we spoke and, and it's one of those things where, you know, you want to help, you want to do the right thing. And then that vision becomes a little clearer. You just take steps every day to, to make it happen a little more and a little more and a little more. And, you know, I never thought a, a guy like me could make stuff happen or, you know, I thought, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll start my idea for a charity when, you know, when I can afford it all, when I can pay for everything myself and not have to worry about asking other people for money. But, right. you know, look at, look at all the families that I've helped so far. And, and it's, uh, it's because I've been, been pushed by my peers to, to make this happen, which is great. And realistically, it's, you don't have to have money. You don't have to have all these different things to make a difference or to make something happen. It's, you know, looking around and seeing, seeing what your talents are, seeing what you're good at, seeing how you can help. Everybody can help in a different way. Everybody's a master at something. Everybody's a genius at something. Um, you know, and I happen to have people paying attention to what I'm doing, which is, which is great. And we spoke about this before. It's like, if there's a spotlight on me, what do I need it for? I don't, I don't need to glorify myself. I don't need to raise myself up. Um, I'm lucky enough to have people paying attention to what I'm doing so that I can divert their attention and put it on something worthwhile, you know, put it on people who need it. And, uh, I'm just, I'm really lucky to be in that position. That's the most powerful thing that I could possibly have. Like I don't need money and, and all this other stuff that is, it's just stuff. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't need it. Nobody needs it. You know, if, if I can grab people's attention and then help them see what really does need attention, that's all I can ask for. You know, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing that I could ever ask for. So, well, you have my vote. That's for sure, man. Thanks, man. And, and you know, speaking of like different talents and stuff too, you know, we, we had this conversation a little bit the other day about how, um, not everybody helps the same. Like, uh, we've done some pretty weird things to raise money for, for star treatments. And, and, um, I kind of pride ourselves on that, you know, being a, a little off the beaten path. And, and, you know, one of my biggest things is I root for the underdog, right? Like I, it's the kid who got picked on in school and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, your typical musician stuff, like, woe is me, a troubled teenager, that kind of thing. But, um, but I always root for the underdog and, and, you know, so I feel like, you know, you got to stick up for these kids, but in the same token, there are a lot of people, um, especially in the rock world, fans of rock and roll music, people that I, uh, associate with and people that I feel in tune with that I see all the time that most people would look at and think, well, what's that? what's that guy going to do to give back? You know, like right. they don't have money or they don't have this or they don't have that. Gosh, man, the amount of bikers that rally together to, to raise money where, you know, people might put their nose in the air, walking past them, the amount of money that 
bikers can generate by getting together, having a rally, having a ride, doing all that kind of stuff. Like they're the best at it. Um, you know, our veterans, you know, like there's a a girl that does a a calendar for us every year and, uh, well she does a calendar and then the proceeds go to us. She, she donates a hundred percent of the proceeds to whatever charity she picks and she raises thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars selling calendars with her in bathing suits or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, man, you, you know what your talents are. You're using them for good. That's awesome. Who cares if it's not like a collection plate in, in, uh, you know, in church Sunday morning, you're, you're doing more than most. Yeah. Really, you really are. And, um, and I'm proud of people like that. I'm proud of people that say, yeah, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. I, I can take some, some photos and I can make some money and then I can do something good with it and I can help people. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Um, we have some really abstract things that we do. Uh, you know, I told you over the phone, I, I was approached by an author a while back who writes erotic romance novels. And she said, you know, I, I really love to use you as the main character in, in one of my books. I said, okay. <laughs> we'll work out an agreement and you know 50 percent of the of the proceeds of that book that's now been published to go to star treatments yeah. that's cool with me you know if you're if you're going to do something like that if you're going to use your talents in a way you know and you want to involve me let's let's make it uh let's make it worthwhile you know because there's a market there there 50 shades of gray look at it you know i mean there's a market there so as long as people are buying stuff like that let's make those dollars count yeah for something yeah a lot of people would definitely turn that away and i love the fact that you are thinking so clearly about it recognizing that we all have our talents we have our skills we all have our proclivities nobody's completely right in the head <laughs> right people, i mean yeah it's people helping people you know that's that's the bottom line right, you want right. to do good things for somebody else do it you yeah. know it, it can come yeah. in all sorts of forms absolutely do you um you've heard the term be do have right i'm sorry it's uh, be do have have you ever heard that term no okay so Basically, it's the opposite of what most people do. Most people say, well, if I have the money, I, I will be, excuse me, excuse me, what am I saying? I'm doing it backwards because I'm thinking the opposite. Be, do, have. They say have, do, be, right? They say, well, if I have the money, I will do the thing and then I will be famous, right? They, okay. they always do it backwards. You were actually kind of alluding to that earlier. You were like, well, when I get there, I'll do X. And then you realize, I just got to jump off the cliff. And B, yep. you have, right, is say, I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to do these things, and then I'll have it. It's, you, you, you stop worrying about the opposite. Because most people say, right, I've got to have the money, or I've got to have the uh, attention, or the fame, or the success, or the notoriety to actually do anything. And the reality is, is I'm a perfect example of a guy who's a terrible podcaster. <laughs> I'm telling you. No, no, I mean, well, I mean, okay, I'm okay. But I am not a radio host. 
I don't come from that world. I don't have my 10,000 hours of, you know, of uh, experience. I'm not amazing. I'm off the cuff. I say um and ah a lot. I have to write certain questions out because I get so distracted sometimes by what I'm listening to that I don't know where to go, right? I mean, it's all those weaknesses, but the reality is, is if you just do it, the organic thing that happens is it happens, (laughs) right? And you just went and did it and now it's happening and it's really turning on. And step by step. Yeah, step by step, little by little. I mean, now that you know, my listeners have heard it. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, gosh, but even if it's just one, Matt, it's one person or one group that's giving and changing the lives of all these people that don't, that can't help themselves. Because, I mean, if my child is dying of cancer, I'm probably not doing a podcast. I mean, I'm selling the gear. You know what I mean? I'll do anything I can to keep them alive and keep them comfortable. And, the fact that you're providing this sort of in-between service is something that's so brilliant because it's not typically thought of, right? These, this, it's, it's kind of an afterthought. It's uh, it's a logistics, you know? No right. one wants to spend time worrying about logistics until you have to do it. Yeah. You know? It's awesome. I love it. I love it. Can I ask you a few questions before I let you go? Of course. A few more. Um, <clears throat> wow. Cough, cough, cough. Um, so, uh, did you feel that there's an influence uh, from your charity on your approach to music now? Do you feel like it, it impacts your life so much that you bring it with you to Pop Evil? It's a good question. Um, it's a really good question. Yes. And the, and this is why. It, it's not even... Uh, it, I'm going back to that word, the lifestyle thing, Right. It, it's it's symbiotic. It's not one or the other. My my charity doesn't influence what I do with Pop Evil any more than what I do on my own or what I do with Pop Evil influences the charity. It's a it's a standard that I try to live by and that I try to hold myself to of treating people good, um, being positive, putting out positive thoughts, and it goes for everything across the board. And it, it opens up more doors for me than anything else ever has, than any song possibly could. You know, it's um, it's just a lifestyle. You know, it's a commitment to a certain way of living and treating people with respect and just trying to do good, putting your best foot forward. And sometimes you put your best foot forward, you get your toes stepped on, you pull yeah. your foot back a little yeah. bit. That's fine. Um, my lifestyle now changes the way that I write with pop people, changes my approach to pop people, how I, how I handle our crew, other bandmates, rehearsals, logistics, set list, songwriting, every, every aspect of it affects every aspect of my life. No, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I mean, I would expect nothing less. It, if it's the chief influence, it seems to be, you know, it's the obvious thing. It's the catalyst to the next stage of your life. It's it's everything. Absolutely. So, um, we're gonna we're gonna end on a lighthearted way here, um, because I got to stop crying. 
And um, <laughs> sorry, man. No, it's okay. It, uh, it 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 pretty much nailed me there. Um, so I have this thing called Seventeen Questions, and um, I try to ask a few unique questions that are solely created for you. Some of them are questions I've asked across the frontier with a number of different artists. But uh, feel free to answer them how you like. You can answer them in one word answers, or you can answer them with massive, massive detail. Uh, it's up to you. So if, <laughs> if if you're ready, we'll begin. Absolutely. Do you have skeletons in your closet? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you- well, that's, that's why there's skeletons in the closet, because <laughs> if I brought them out, then they wouldn't be in. Oh, I'm so hoping. Um, okay. Uh, question number two. You have to kill, skin, and eat one of the following. A bear, an elk, a rabbit, or a hog. Which one do you pick and Why? I have to do all three things to one? You have to do all three things to one. You have to kill, skin, and eat those. A bear, an elk, a rabbit, or a hog. Which one do you pick? And why? Um, I feel like a bear would be <laughs> the best answer for me. Uh, I'm guessing if I had to kill skin and eat it, uh, that means it's for survival reasons. And, um, if I'm going to survive, I better be able to go up against something like a bear and win. And that'd be an ultimate test. There would be, you know, the challenge in taking down a bear. Um, also probably the most gratifying to take down a bear and, uh, skinning it. The bear skin would go a lot, yeah, a lot better than uh, most <laughs> other of the other animals. And eating it, man, I mean, it'd be set for a year. Yeah, probably eating bear steaks. So, go big or go home, man. I'm going for the bear. I love that answer. I was, uh, I was totally throwing a Ted Nugent at you there. So that was that was pretty great. Um, <laughs> okay, question three: What haven't you done on tour as of yet? What haven't I done? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird question on purpose. Yeah, 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 no, I get it. Um, I mean, there are places that I haven't gone yet. Okay. That I'd like to go. I haven't been to Australia. I haven't been to Japan, China. Um, I'd love to go to South America. I haven't had the chance to do that yet. Uh, hopefully those things will be coming up in the next year or two. Um, other than that, actually doing things on tour, I mean, I've opened for some of my favorite bands. I've played on stage with some of my favorite musicians and idols and, you know, played in arenas and huge festivals and crowds, you know, in different places of the world. Uh, done headline shows and, and I mean, the checklist is running dry, man. I, I mean, I, I pretty much hit just about everything that I, I've aimed to do on tour. Yeah. You know, and a few things that I didn't even know I wanted to do. <laughs> and I've since gave up. And I was going to say that you don't remember, but your friends tell you you did, right? Yep. 
<laughs> yeah, I've read some of those stories. <laughs> Good for you, sir. Good for you. Um, uh, okay, this is a really embarrassing question, and I, I always struggle asking, but I ask this to everybody. So, on a scale of one to ten, how attractive do you think you are? <laughs> do I think I am? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I put myself at a solid six and a half. There it is. Shows room for improvement, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, it depends on when you catch me. Yeah, sure, sure. But, you know, am I stage ready or am I just waking up? <laughs> stage ready. I like that. That's great. That should be the question I should ask on a scale of right there on the stage. Um, so stage ready under the right lights and you know atmosphere and angles and everything like that. Right. Might be pushing a seven. Right, right. When the hair whip is up, I mean, we're you might even be an eight. So, so. Uh, I don't know about that. The, the hair is a, an extra point by itself when it's properly maintained. <laughs> Great. Are you evil or pop? I'm on the evil side. All right. What has yeah, there you are. Exactly. What has to happen for a song to be perfect or as close to perfect as possible? Never happens. You never get a perfect song, man. You never get a perfect song. You get pieces of it that you are absolutely in love with. Um, I'm going to say the biggest factor in getting a song perfect or close to perfect is who you have mix it. Ah, great answer. Great answer. Um, which song of yours do you most dislike playing live? Usually the ones we don't like playing, we don't play anymore. Okay. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, but there are a few in there like um, Boss's Daughter Okay, is one for me where the song had a... a uh, time and place in our career it had its purpose uh, we co-wrote it with Mick Mars it was a great time shot a music video with Mick Mars and a playmate but to me it uh, it just reminds me of a, a point in Pop Evil where I wasn't really happy gotcha gotcha so. um, what is your favorite on stage failure <laughs> your spinal tap moment Oh, we have them nightly. Come on. Um, I've fallen off of a stage before a couple times. <laughs> We've all fallen on stage. It's It happens. Yeah. Like Everybody yeah. falls on stage at, at some point in time. And that's always pretty funny, usually. Um, damn, we, we had one. I've got a little video clip of it where I accidentally tripped our monitor guy. He was running across the stage and running behind me. And like just as he came up, I obviously didn't see him. I kind of switched my stance and put one of my feet back. And he just <laughs> straight I can, down. I can see it without ever seeing the video. I can imagine it. <laughs> I felt terrible, oh, but it ultimately is pretty funny. That's great. If you could go back to one year in your life, what year would that be and why? I don't think I want to go back. I, I have no interest in it. I like your answers so much, Matt. This is great. Um, give me a one-word description 
of yourself? Fuck. That's great. <laughs> yes. Yes. So great. Would you rather bathe with a sea? Word than that. What was that? I said, what's a more versatile word than that? No, it's perfect. 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 Would you rather bathe with a seal or a shark? I know that's weird. That's easy. Um, War of... Seals are my favorite animal. I got them tattooed over me. That's awesome. Wow. That that was an easy answer. Yeah, yeah. No, clearly. Uh, Did you see that video on YouTube uh, yesterday where the seal plucked the girl off the the pier? Oh yeah, my. and then that that like linked me to YouTube, and all these videos started popping up of like there's like an eagle that swoops and picks up a uh, kid. And yeah, I was watching some crazy stuff after that, but yeah, I did see that. Yeah, the dark side of YouTube. It just wanted a friend, man. <laughs> but that's uh, great. Common sense goes a long way. Okay, a uh, few more here. War of Angels or Up? Up. What are three things you cannot live without? Air, water, and sleep. That's fair. I mean, literally, uh, I don't. I don't know that there's anything that I couldn't physically live without. I mean, material possessions is. They're just that material possessions. Yeah. Okay. If you can't live in Michigan, where would you move? Um, either Louisiana or Tennessee. Why? Um, when we first started touring, I went to you know, went to Louisiana, and I always just felt at home there. You know, love the people, love the food, love the way of life. It's real slow. Um, no one's ever in a rush to get anywhere to get to work or. You know, anything they're always looking for a good excuse to cook food and hang out and it's a slower pace uh life where I, I feel like people really really enjoy it and get it um in tennessee that's yeah, good it's centrally located the laws are a little bit better you know gun laws and things like that which i'm into um i know a lot of people there like I said, it's, it's centrally located. It's easy for me. Wherever I live is basically a vacation place to me, if you think about it. Like most people have to pick where they live according to where they work. But I don't have to live where I work. I can't. You know, I'm, I'm on the road. So when I'm off the road, when I'm at home, it means I'm on vacation, basically. Now that I don't work from home too, but it could be anywhere and, and it might as well be a, a place where I can see a lot of people or people can get to me easily too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Those are great. Those are both great places. I love Tennessee. It's gorgeous. Not quite as hot as Louisiana too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Yep. Definitely not quite as hot. Yeah, as well, that's another reason I love Louisiana. I can ride my Harley there year round. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. It's just the humidity. It's like riding through a a veil of rain. <laughs> it's yep. so intense. Do you like that? Do you like? Are you a humidity guy? You don't mind? I dig it. Well, my hair doesn't dig it, but I, I don't mind. That's cool. That's cool. So, last question here is: um, I believe in something called the ninety-seven-three rule, and I've made it up. 
but it really is something I believe in. I, uh, I use it quite a lot um, in different business meetings and different functions. And basically what I mean by that is, is I believe everybody is 97% badass at something. You kind of addressed this earlier. You said everybody's great at something, something. Mm-hmm. Most people just don't know what that is. And they're maybe afraid to jump off the cliff and figure it out, right? Um, what I know you know what your 97 is, or I should say I probably can figure it out myself, but what are you terrible at? The, that, that 3% that you need somebody else to fill in, what is that? Uh, asking for help. Wow. I'm terrible at it. Uh, that was the hardest part, starting this charity, um, doing things on a day-to-day basis with a band, with, with any venture that I go down. Um I have a hard time asking for people to help and, you know, with the charity and, you know, it's basically the whole thing is, you know, on one hand you're asking people to help and donate money. And on the other hand, you're taking that money and helping people. And I've got, you know, people that work with me at at star treatments that I have to have handle some of those conversations with you know like asking people for money basically it's i i have a hard time doing it even if it's asking on behalf of someone else or asking for help for for anything to run this to do quickbooks to do the website to help design some shirts or or anything like that wow wow well i will offer myself up to you sacrificial lamb and um (laughs) I mean this. I mean, I know you kind of know this already because of some other things that are going on uh, off to the side, but um, I fully support your charity. Fully support it. Um, my Thank po- you. My podcast, uh, some of my business uh, friends um, were talking about uh, creating an outreach um, that we can do that can then help empower yours. So um, I just want to encourage everybody to check out startreatments.org um, and do everything you can to get behind this because it's a, it's a life-changing thing. And um, again, these... Uh, these these families and these children, um, there's no deserve in this. They didn't deserve any of this. And um, this charity that Matt has uh, gotten behind and 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 formed and and got the support of uh, is is everything for these families. In in the middle of massive crisis and chaos, there's a calm. And um, I'm just really honored to know you, man. You're you're a hell of a guy. Hey, man. Like attracts like. All the way, all the way, brother. So, any last, uh, any last words you want to share before I shut her down? You know, thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's been much needed from my end. I, I haven't had a chance to really talk about star treatments um, very much, or, or really anything, since we've been locked up in this in this place writing songs together. And um, I really appreciate you reaching out and setting this up and, and giving me a platform to talk about star treatments a little bit and, and other stuff too. Um, you know, one thing that I would encourage everyone out there to do is if you're hesitant about donating or setting up a monthly donation or anything like that, sign up for our newsletter, go on our website. Sign up for the newsletter. You can see what we do. We send out one a month. We're not going to bombard you with it, but it comes out on the first of every month. You can see what we're up to. I always put a little message in there so you can kind of see where my head's at and 
and you know just uh i encourage you to 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 follow it and, and maybe spread the word so yeah no, I agree. I agree. And I will tell people, I think I mentioned this earlier, but there is a setting um, through your website that you can, um, in a sense, uh, create a monthly subscription as little as $10. Mm-hmm. And um, I get it. There's a lot of charities out there. There's a lot of things people are passionate about. Um, but I don't know anybody in the world uh, that can't find $10 to change the lives of kids. So uh, I get it. I'm a shill right now. I get it completely, guys. But um, please get behind this. I think it's uh, incredible. And um, these kids need your help. And uh, Matt's a, he's a, He's the he's the great redeemer. No, um, <laughs> but but uh, you are doing incredible things, and I appreciate you. So thanks again for the time and um, rock and, yeah, rock and roll. I'm going to put one of your great killer songs on the tail end of this, and um, we'll treat the fans with um, some righteous pop evil. All right. Sounds great, man. Thanks, brother. All right. Just turned to yes Silently I must confess My troubled history This washed away All my sins Starting over once again This is where it all begins It's right in front of me Down is now Where I belong This aching heart won't turn to stone There's a fire inside These bones It was meant to be I see your world still full of light
Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.